Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, and more importantly, welcome back, Giants fans, to another episode of the Say Hey Podcast, the podcast that is home to all things Giants baseball. Folks, before we move on to today's show, I want to take this time to talk about the recent tragedy of Hurricane Laura. If you don't know, on August 27th, Hurricane Laura hit the state of Louisiana and left nothing but destruction. The Category 4 monster forced more than 500,000 people to evacuate their homes, and the devastation from the 150-mile-per-hour winds knocked out the power to at least 880,000 utility customers in the region, leaving tens of thousands of people without drinkable water. Some of the most severe damages came from massive trees falling on people's homes, which to our knowledge claimed the lives of four people who were of the ages 14, 68, 64, and 51. Sadly enough, Hurricane Laura came during the same week Hurricane Katrina hit the state of Louisiana 15 years ago. If you're wondering how to help, donations can be made to the Venmo account of Shauna Collins. Shauna is part of a team in Louisiana that are currently going hands-on to do everything they can in order to help restore what was lost during the aftermath. Even the smallest donation of $5 can make the biggest impact. Again, that's Shauna Collins, S-H-A-W-N-A. Collins, C-O-L-L-I-N-S. With that being said, folks, let's go ahead and dive right into today's show. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to episode 9 of the Say Hey Podcast. I'm your host today, James Donahue, just like I am every show, and hopefully that's not a deal breaker for you. My goodness gracious, what a crazy couple of days it's been for us Giants fans over the past two games that we've watched in Colorado, filled with plenty of ups and also filled with a little bit of downs, but not enough to keep us down, especially during a playoff run. Folks, I'm going to be breaking down or at least recapping the past series against the Colorado Rockies, and then I will I will be breaking down the following series against the Arizona Diamondbacks. My goal for this show, should you guys to stick around and listen to it all, is to help you guys realize how attainable a playoff spot actually is this year for us. We are so close, you can actually smell it. And it's starting to smell better than garlic fries at Oracle Park. I'm not kidding. With that being said, folks, let's go ahead and just dive right into it. All right, there's a lot to highlight here for Game 1, and the majority of it came from one man, Alex Dickerson. But before we break down his historic game, let's just go ahead and start from the top. One, our offense. Our bats, they're ready for competitive baseball. But more importantly, they're ready for competitive playoff baseball. Over the course of these past two games, we compiled a total of 40 hits and scored a total of 29 runs. Of course, if you watched the past two games, we know that 27 of those hits and 23 of those runs came in Game 1. But what you may not know is that those both tied for the franchise record for the San Francisco era. And this offensive production has plenty to highlight. One, we scored in every inning except the ninth inning. Two, Brandon Crawford, Donovan Solano, and Alex Dickerson became the first trio of teammates to all individually record six RBIs in a game since RBI became an official stat in 1920. And speaking of Alex Dickerson, in game one, 
This is insane. Just one game. He went five for six with three home runs and two doubles. And one of those doubles came very late in the game. His last at bat, it was barely a home run. He had a shot at tying the league record of four home runs in a game. But unfortunately, it turned into a double. How dare he? He also walked away with a walk and a strikeout. For those of you who aren't good at math like me, all of that adds up to 16 total bases in one game. That actually ties the franchise record with Willie Mays. Some other offensive highlights, which were there, there were several obviously, were Evan Longoria, who collected four hits in these two games alone. Bell collected three hits in this game. Donovan Solano collected four hits. Again, six RBIs I already mentioned. And Joey Bart started hitting again. He collected three hits in this game. And Yaz collected two, including a triple. And like I said earlier in the past show, something that we needed was Mauricio Dubon to keep hitting. And that's exactly what he did when he collected two hits in this game. Not to mention, Dubon is now displaying a 282 batting average after hitting 200 on August 12th. So he's clearly made an adjustment. Not sure what the adjustment is. All I know is I like that he's made one. And how the heck could I forget Brandon Crawford, who also, like I said, collected six RBIs, and he hit a home run in this game. And the best thing about this series is that the hitting didn't stop in Game 2. Was it less substantial than Game 1? Yes, naturally. It probably would have. But that doesn't mean it was a bad game of hitting. We still managed to collect 13 hits and score 6 runs in this game. Yaz collected 3 hits, including a homer. Longoria also collected 2 hits. Wilmer Flores, 2 hits. Dickerson, 2 more hits after collecting 5 the game before. And Daniel Robertson, I'm going to be talking about him later in this show, but he collected 2 hits while starting in place of Brandon Crawford. Something that people, and by people I mean Giants fans and MLB fans in general, may not realize is that this has been happening all year. This type of hitting production, this offensive performances, if you look at the numbers and you can see that the Giants lead the league in hits, they are second in the lead in team batting average, and are ranked third in runs scored and RBIs. This is the type of production that does not happen overnight. This is the type of production that has been sustainable throughout the course of an entire season as we've seen. The only reason why people are noticing it now is because of what happened on Tuesday, but something people need to realize is that it's been happening all season. A lot of positives are happening for this team offensively, but something that people don't realize is that there's also positives coming from our coaching staff, which brings me to what happened during game one of this series. Look, I have to give Gabe Kapler some credit. Yes, I've questioned a lot of his moves he's made during this season, And if you're a consistent listener to this show, then you already know that about me. But something happened on Tuesday night that earned Gabe Kapler a little bit of my respect. With the Giants up 18-2 with two outs and runners on second and third, Steven Duggar was called out on a close play at first on a ground ball he hit to Garrett Hampson. Kapler would go on to call for a replay review on the play despite winning by an unbelievable amount of runs. Like I said, we were winning 18-2 at this point. He did not need to go out and challenge that call. So why did he do it? I really don't know. Perhaps it was driven by a focus of getting Duggar his fourth hit on the season and his first RBI. But honestly, we don't really need a reason why. And I don't need a reason why. All I care about is that he did it, because that showed me that Kapler is willing to go to battle for his guys, no matter what the cost and no matter what the situation is, and that's awesome to see from a fan standpoint, because it shows me that he's not just trying to collect a paycheck. It shows me that he actually cares about the guys that he's coaching. Look, I know I've given Gabe Kapler a lot of crap over the course of this season, 
but that was really awesome to see and 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 I tip my cap to him because of that that just really shows a lot to me that just shows that he cares that just shows that not only does he want to win but he cares about our guys and for the rest of his time in a Giants uniform I no longer have to question that I no longer have to question his intentions because of what he displayed to not only me but the rest of the Giants fans that game all right, moving on to something that was not that big of a highlight, but it's something that we have to talk about. Something that we have learned over the course of these two games is that if we are going to have a shot at the playoffs, something that needs to be sustainable or at least a little bit consistent is our relief pitching. And I want to already ease your mind if you're having PTSD or flashbacks to the Oakland A's and the Angels series because I personally am not worried moving forward as a team, and I honestly don't think it's the same situation. And here's why. Before Wednesday's game, our relief pitching had displayed a 1.38 ERA over our past 12 games. And some players I want to highlight in particular and break down in order to just ease your mind is Tyler Rogers, Sam Coonrod, Caleb Berger, and Trevor Gott, and a few more. Now, Tyler Rogers, before Wednesday's outing, had not given up a run while striking out 11 over his last 10 innings pitched. He was by far our number one relief pitcher. Sam Coonrod, before Wednesday's outing, had not given up a run or hit while striking out three over his last 3.2 innings pitched since coming back from injury. Not to mention, Sam Coonrod's the one that we like to watch because he has that 101-mile-per-hour fastball. Another player that we like is Tony Watson. He wasn't used during this Colorado outing, but he's by far one of our best pitchers. Now, the reason why I want to highlight Caleb Berger, I think I'm finally pronouncing his last name right, is because I don't think he's getting the recognition he deserves. He has only given up two hits over his last seven innings, excuse me, seven innings pitch while striking out five batters and not surrendering a single run. Not to mention, opponents have only been able to produce a 0-9-1 batting average against him. Another player that we need to talk about is Trevor Gott. He did not pitch during the Colorado series, but he has an ERA of zero over his last 2.1 innings pitched. He's also someone that's given opponents trouble as of late, considering that they've only been able to produce a 143 batting average against him. And the last person I'm going to mention is Jarlin Garcia. I did not know his name entering this season, but I'm really, really glad I do know him now. He still has not surrendered a run on the season, which consists of 10 innings. He's pitched 10 innings and not given up a single run. Now, the reason why I believe this is not like the last time this happened, and by last time this happened, I mean the last time our bullpen blew a lead, the reason why it's not the same is because we weren't producing this well leading up to the A series and the Angels series. The way our relief pitching has been handled and the way we've produced in the late innings has been absolutely phenomenal. Not to mention, we were in freaking Colorado! In my last episode, I mentioned that anything can happen in Colorado, and anything did happen in Colorado. However, in order for us to have a real shot at the playoffs, which we really do have a shot at the playoffs, I'm not saying our relief pitching has to be perfect, but when it comes to tight games like these, we're going to have to figure out how to close out these games consistently. However, despite this minor hiccup in our bullpen, I feel very confident in our team heading into this playoff run. Specifically because the Giants have outscored their opponents 94-54 to since August 18th. According to Baseball Reference, we have a 51.9% chance to making the playoffs. In order for that to become a reality, we, ne- we need our bullpen to pick back up and we need our veterans to keep hitting like they have been. Since August 16th, Get a load of this. Brandon Belt has been able to produce a 500 batting average and in that time frame has collected seven doubles, 
four home runs, eight walks, and he hasn't been striking out. Brandon Crawford has also been hitting the ball very well, and in that same time frame, he's produced a 358 batting average, has collected six doubles, four home runs, 13 RBIs, and has walked seven times. And one of the most experienced veterans in our lineup, that's right, Evan Longoria, has managed to produce a 377 batting average in that time frame, collecting six extra base hits and 12 RBIs. I truly believe this is one of the biggest reasons why our offense has been able to produce so effectively. We are definitely in a tight race for that last spot in the playoffs, and we are practically neck and neck with Colorado. But the reason why I'm excited is because of the next two series that we have versus the next two series that they have. Tonight starts a four-game series at home against the Arizona Diamondbacks, and then we also have a four-game series against the Seattle Mariners. As I mentioned in last episode... The Rockies are going to go on to play the Los Angeles Dodgers and the San Diego Padres. Lucky for us, we have won five of the last six games we've played against the Arizona Diamondbacks, and the Mariners are one of the worst teams in the American League. There's a reason why we have a 50% chance of making the playoffs. Not to mention, this Arizona Diamondbacks team is going to be different than the one that we faced already earlier in the season, mainly because they sold Starling Marte, Archie Bradley, Robbie Ray, and Andrew Chafin. Some of the biggest highlights that they have on their roster won't be there this time around. However, this will be the first time the Giants face Madison Bumgarner, and it's going to be on Saturday. However, Game 1 is going to consist of a matchup between Taylor Clark and Tyler Anderson. The last time Taylor Clark faced us, it was definitely a good one. He pitched five innings, only gave up one hit, one earned run, one walk, and managed to strike out seven of us. Some standouts that I'm looking forward to see face Clark are Alex Dickerson, who currently has a 750 career batting average, which actually just equates to three for four, with two home runs and five RBIs. Another one of our hitters I'm excited to see face him is Brandon Belt, as I am excited to see Belt face any pitcher, but he has a 286 batting average with a home run. Tyler Anderson is a little trickier to predict, considering that last outing was underwhelming compared to his complete game shutout he pitched on August 27th. When he faced the team again in Arizona, he managed to give up seven earned runs and 4.2 innings pitched. The silver lining? Well, he pinched against them at home when it came to the complete game shutout, and he's going to face them again at home. Some matchups that Anderson's going to have to look out for is Nick Ahmed, who has two homers and a 333 batting average against him, and Cattell Marte, who has seven hits, including three doubles and a home run. So that's some serious ownage. Game 2 marks the return of Madison Bumgarner, and Trevor Cahill is going to be on the hill for us on Saturday at 6.15. In my opinion, this will be the make-or-break game of the series since Mad Bum is pitching at his old home. It's not really an away game for Mad Bum. He has never faced his old team, obviously, but he has struggled on the season so far. He is currently sporting an 0-3 record with a 9.35 ERA, but the fact that he was on the injury list didn't help that at all. Trevor Cahill is confirmed to be A-OK to start this game, which is encouraging to hear since he was dominating during his last downing against the Diamondbacks before sustaining an injury during the middle of the game. Cahill's biggest enemy might be Eduardo Escobar, who has two home runs against him and is sporting a 400 batting average against him. Other than that, Cahill has performed pretty well against this team. I don't read too much into the home run he gave up to Christian Walker during his last outing because he surrendered it after displaying some visual discomfort, which later turned out to be an injury. Game 3 against the Diamondbacks will consist of Johnny Cueto versus Alex Young at 1.05 p.m. And looks like it's going to be an afternoon game on Sunday, just like they always are. Alex Young is currently sporting a 1-2 record with a 4.50 ERA. 
He has given up 28 hits and 28 innings pitched, mainly because he's been a bullpen guy primarily on the season. And I absolutely expect this to be a blowout game with the Giants dominating offensively. Some players we can expect to have a good game are Brandon Belt, who has a home run against Alex Young, Brandon Crawford, who has a 500 batting average with a double against Young, Longoria with a 375 batting average, including a home run, Solano has two hits against Young, and Yaz has only faced him twice, but I expect to see him continue to hit. On the other side of the ball, we have Johnny Cueto, who has pitched an absolute gem during his last downing against the Snakes. In 6.2 innings pitched, he only gave up three hits, one earned run, and collected six strikeouts. Starling Marte, like I said, who's no longer on the team, had the most ownage on Cueto, and now that he's gone, I expect this to be an even easier matchup. Considering the fact that David Peralta is 0 for 12 against Cueto, Nick Ahmed is 0 for 10, Cole Calhoun is 0 for 8, and Christian Walker is 0 for 5. The only player we have to look out for this game is John Jay, who has a career batting average of 342 against Cueto, including three home runs. But I honestly didn't even know he was on the D-backs. On the season, he is displaying a, a 129 batting average and has only appeared in 12 of the Diamondbacks' 37 games played this year. All right, Game 4 will be on Monday night at 5.05 p.m., and it will feature a matchup between Kevin Gosman and Zach Gallen. This will be the toughest game by far, in my opinion, because Gallen has dominated us on the season, and he's pretty much dominating everybody else. He now has a 1.80 ERA on the year, and that ERA has gone down since we last faced him. Our team is currently sporting a 2.11 batting average against him, so as soon as we get him out of the game, the better chance we will have at winning it. Gosman has not faced the Diamondbacks this year, but a player to definitely look out for is Mr. Cole Calhoun, who has a 3.33 batting average in 18 at-bats faced against him. He has two doubles and one home run in that time frame. David Peralta is also a player to look out for, considering the fact that he has a 444 batting average in nine at-bats. Eduardo Escobar, he has a home run against him despite only producing a 190 batting average. And if there's one thing we know about Gosman is that he likes to give up home runs. Now, the keys to winning these games are getting to their bullpen early and for our bullpen to get back on track in order to dominate the late innings. If we can do that, then we have a, an extremely strong shot at walking away with three wins out of the four games, heading to another home series against the Seattle Mariners. Folks, the last thing I will talk about is the fact that we might actually have a secret weapon on our team. If you haven't heard already, then let me tell you. Right before the trade deadline, the Giants went out and acquired Daniel Robertson from the Tampa Bay Devil Rays for cash considerations. Robertson was drafted in the first round by the Oakland A's in 2012, which was also the team that Farhan resided with that year. The reason why I'm so excited about this player is because he adds depth. Robertson is eligible to play third base, shortstop, second base, and the outfield corners. Not to mention, he was able to produce a 17.4% strikeout percentage in the minors, which is amazing considering that MLB league average strikeout percentage is 22%. Another reason why I'm excited for Robertson to be on our team is because he has the same hitting coach as Justin Turner. And if you watch the last two games against the Colorado Rockies, you can see that their batting stances are almost identical. And it must work because he collected three hits and five at-bats during his first two games with the Giants during that series. Now, I'm not saying we have the next Justin Turner. Justin Turner is one of the most elite hitters currently in the major leagues. I'm not saying that. 
All I'm saying is that I'm excited that we have a player that can come off the bench and be productive. And if he turns out to be the next Justin Turner, then I'm obviously okay with that. But I encourage you over the course of these next two series to really look at this guy. He adds a lot of depth to our lineup. There's a lot of potential for him to be very productive offensively. Folks, that is going to be all for today's show. That concludes episode number nine of the Say Hey podcast. And I just wanted to say thank you again so much for your support. Something I'll share real quick is that we reached 100 downloads in the month of August alone. I cannot express my gratitude enough. Without you guys, then there's no show. And it truly means the absolute world to me. Folks, you can find the Say Hey podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Make sure you're subscribed so you can be notified when the latest episode drops. But other than that, I hope you have a fantastic weekend. Go Giants!